morning and welcome back to another live episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast, and you can bet your bottom dollar that today's show is going to be a fun one because we will be joined by an absolute legend of the squared circle, one of the hottest heels of all time, a man who is very instrumental in the boom period that we lovingly call the golden era of professional wrestling from coast to coast to Japan and everywhere in between. This man's impact on the world of professional wrestling is still felt today. Everybody's got a price for today's guest, the million-dollar man himself. Ted DiBiase will be joining us shortly. My name is Jumpin' Jay, and as always, I'm sitting across from Tommy, Mr. Mega Bucks Fierro. Tommy, good morning. What's going on, brother? Not much, man. Excited for today's episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast. Like you said, one of the biggest names in the history of professional wrestling one of the reasons why we do this podcast growing up, I was a gigantic, gigantic fan of the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, even a bigger fan now, getting to work with him several times over the last few years and coming up here for 80s wrestling cons and signings and stuff. Uh, the road to WrestleMania, we're on Jumpin' Jay, and what better guy to have on to get us on that road to WrestleMania than someone like the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, who has tons of WrestleMania experience. Ted, Welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. So good to have you on today. Uh, great to be with you guys. Absolutely. Now, we saw we saw Ted a couple weeks back on Raw 30. Now, Ted, you were there from the inception of it. What was it like just a couple weeks back, 30 years, how, how quickly that went? Oh, wow. It's amazing. It was like I was, you know, like, uh, you know, WWE doesn't always call you, uh, right? It's like they're, they're you know, they think up things as they go, and I only had a couple of days' notice about uh, appearing on the show. But I said, yeah, I'd, I'd be be happy to go back. And going back and, and seeing so so many of, you know, my my colleagues, you know, got people that I hadn't seen in a long time, and um, it's kind of like uh, that's just the nature of wrestling. It's like you might not see somebody for you know, 10 years, but then when you do see him, it's like you saw him yesterday. You just pick up where you left off. And, um, uh, yeah, I mean, and it was kind of like realizing that Monday Night Raw has been around that long. <laughs> that was that was uh, something else that also <laughs> reminded me of how old I am now. <laughs> but, yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a great experience. Well, Mr. DBF, this is Jay, and first of all, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It is an absolute pleasure to talk with you this morning. And when we're talking about 30 years of Raw and how long that's been around, you played a character known as the Million Dollar Man that really connected with fans. Here we are, 30-plus years later, and you're still one of the names that fans continue to talk about I would love to hear from your perspective. What do you think it was about that character or how you portrayed it that allowed you to develop such a strong connection with the fan base? Well, uh, it's it's really unbelievable. But, I mean, when, when I went for my interview with Vince McMahon, um, what he initially told me is he said, Dad, I says, I've got an idea. He says, so many things in wrestling have been done and redone and repackaged, but this is an original idea. And he says, 
I heard, I've heard you interview. I've seen your work. He said, I think you're perfect for it. And, uh, but he wouldn't tell me what it was until I agreed to sign a contract with him. He says, you're going to just have to trust me. He says, because I don't want to tell you what it is and give away a, a great idea. And then you go somewhere else and do it. And, and I understood that. So uh, when I finally said yes, and he laid it out there for me, he says, the one thing everybody hates is someone who, by virtue of their wealth, bullies people. And I just kind of laughed, and I said, yeah, I can't stand guys like that myself. Uh, and I understood exactly what he was saying. You know, they, you know, they, uh, they, they push their weight around by, by uh, pushing their, their money around, you know, and getting the best seat or whatever and what have you. And, and, and that was actually in the, in the first vignettes we did. Uh, you know, I, I kick a bunch of kids out of a swimming pool because I want the pool all to myself. Um, I, you know, I want the best room in the hotel and, and that's, well, it's the honeymoon suite and, I, and then it's taken tonight. Well, get them out of there, you know, cause you always, like you could always pay somebody up because everybody's got a price. That was the whole thing. Um, and I guess the one thing that I did that, that everybody r- reminds me of is, night that we had the little kid in the basketball we were in milwaukee and somebody said what's what's uh i said what's milwaukee famous for and somebody said beer and basketball i said well we can't do beer let's do something with the basketball so i get the kid out there he dribbles the ball 10 times i said you do this again for 15 times and don't miss i give you 500 bucks kid and he gets to 14 and i i I put my foot out and make the ball bounce off my foot uh when you don't get the job done right, kid, you don't get paid. Crocodile tears, and he ran to his mother. And, I mean, I have heard about that for 30 years. <laughs> it was just like, how could you – I mean, and reality is it was a show, and, and yes, the kid got paid, and, 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 and you know, but no, nobody knew that at the time. But the just the, the, the raw essence of this character – and I mean, it's, it's, it's a character that anybody could hate because most people can't stand guys who bully them or push their weight around by, you know, basically, uh, you know, outpricing them. So that was it. Plus uh, just my, my skills as a, a wrestler um, coming into this business, growing up in the business. And I also feel like I, and part of the last era of wrestling as I knew it. Um, you know, uh, there's always a good guy and a bad guy, and it's kind of like anymore. Sometimes you can't tell the difference. And um, the, um, you know, just making that impact, and it was, it was a character that anybody could, anybody could hate, and everybody did hate. That was my job, was to make you hate me. <laughs> so... And I obviously did a did a pretty good job of it. So, um, and I had fun doing it. I mean, it's it's just one of those things. that's kind of like uh, you're you're when you do something like that, you're so totally different from who you really are as a person, and uh, that made it even more fun for me to do. So, and, and how it's how it's lasted this long, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, that's up for debate. <laughs> Ted, real quick before we jump onto the phone line, 
you, I mean, at, at the point when you first got this character, I mean, you're already, you know, you're very well established already in the wrestling business. So, I mean, did you know immediately when they gave you that gimmick that you were a made man at that point? Um, not immediately. I mean, you, know, you don't want to, you don't want to jump the gun. I mean, uh, uh, but I, 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 I knew uh, that this was, and plus because, and I said, when, as Vince explained it to me, here's what I realized. If Vince could have been a character in his own show, this is what he would have done. He would have been this character. And, and so, you know, with that said, I go, yeah. And I knew, I knew with him being as excited about it as he was that they were going to push the hell out of it. So I, you know, in that, in that regard, I think I thought, well, here we go. That's it's tremendous. And we're going to jump up to the phone lines now. First caller is all the way from Chico, California. Babyface Brian, welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. You're on live with WWE Hall of Famer, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Thank you, Tommy. Thank you, Jay. And it's a real thrill to be able to talk to you, Mr. DiBiase. Uh, I was a uh, a fan of uh, 13 years old. I'd uh, been watching wrestling about a year when you came over in the summer of it. And at first people were cheering you for throwing $100 bills in the in the crowd. And really quickly you guys were able to uh, modify the character and uh, and get a, a tremendous amount of heat. I, I first and foremost want to just thank you for the, uh, the great entertainment and uh, joy you brought to all of us fans. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And you're right. You know, it's kind of like uh, when we first did this thing, the first couple of times I walked out, you know, I, I was throwing I was throwing money at the people. And I, and I went back and I, I said, look, I said, there's no way I'm going to make people hate me by throwing money at them. <laughs> so you're right. Definitely. Anyway, Definitely. Then we switched and then- it around to where... I offered them an opportunity to make the money, and then I jilt them. You know. Oh, definitely, and, hu- and humiliated them. Yeah. yeah. Have you yeah, ever so talked to was... Rob Van? Have you talked to Rob Van Dam before? Yeah. Him kissing your feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, when I after he got in the business, the first time I saw him, I said, "Hey, Rob, congratulations!" And by the way, I said, "I've got another foot you can kiss if you want to," and he said. <laughs> this was really good comeback. He said, <laughs> he said, okay, but the price has gone way up. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. And then uh, the way they built those vignettes and then at Survivor Series, they you didn't get a match, but the story they told with you was as valuable or more valuable than a match. And it's, you know, you come in and the very first pay-per-view you're on is the biggest one of the year, WrestleMania four. You wrestle two matches and then the third, you're in the main event. Um, that must have been just mind blowing. I know before you came to WWF, there was you know plans of you, you know, being the guy to uh, overtake uh, Ric Flair for the title at one point in the NWA, and I'm, I really think you made the right choice coming to WWF. I don't believe there's any way you could have had a more iconic character than the Million Dollar Man. But uh, uh, the, the Quick question I want to ask before I let other people on here is I did a poll recently asking people about your week-long run from February 5th through February 13th where you ran around the country and had five title matches with uh, Bam Bam Bigelow, 
and a and a tag match with uh, uh, Andre against Hulk and Bam Bam, where you were the world champion. They they don't officially recognize it, but it was the biggest response I've ever gotten in a poll. You know, 264 people, which is not a ton, but three percent of them have said yes. Yes, Ted should be recognized as an official WWE champion. And I just wanted to ask you what that what that week was like going around as world champ. Oh gosh, well it was it was a lot of fun, obviously, and and uh, I you know I knew it wasn't going to last. I mean, I I knew the plan. I mean, the whole thing, the Market Square Arena deal, Andre versus Hulk Hogan, and you know I I come in and. You know, I, well, I basically I I paid for the the, the lookalike referee and and everything that was the setup for WrestleMania four, and you know and and then and then WrestleMania four, my gosh, I said there's a lot of people that have wrestled at a WrestleMania, but not too many of them that wrestled three three times in one night in the same WrestleMania, um, but that end up they end up with Savage and you know and and that was the whole deal. You know, uh, Savage is gonna uh, basically because I know I know I wrote I know Randy was was basically a heel before that, and you know and that more or less turned him babyface because <laughs> everybody hated me so bad and uh, gave him a great run and of course I had a great run as well. Um, you know, everybody I, get, I often get asked that question. You know, uh, are you disappointed that you you were never actually the champion? I said, well, in some ways, you know, uh, okay, okay, but bottom line is, it, it's you're not really a champion; you're a character. And what I was in the business to do was make money, and I wanted to do whatever I could do to make the most money. And so, when it was Pat Patterson who who said, he said, Ted, what if you don't win? You don't win at WrestleMania for, and basically, a lot of people expect you to win. You know, and then go on and, and go around with with Hogan and have a, have the run. He says, "Boy, let's say it blows up in your face. You don't win, and then your arrogance create your own title." And as soon as he said it, I said, "Let's do that. That'll put more heat on me than anything else you can do." And that was what it was all about: was the heat. The more the the more the people hated me, uh, the better the box office is going to be, and and that's how it turned out. Well, you're in great company. Rowdy Rowdy Piper also uh, was never officially recognized, but I, I would argue that for one week you were the world champion, and no matter if it's officially recognized or not, that was a week where uh, that's that's what the reality was, and that's what everybody who saw you in person uh, saw was a world champion. Um, well, I'll, I'll let you get you to some much. other callers. Oh, definitely. And uh, like I say, thank you for making all of our childhoods uh uh, so much more enjoyable. You were uh, an all-time great as far as uh, any character that's been around. So thank you so much, Ted. Uh, thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. That's Babyface Brian from Chico, California. Ted, real quickly, I wanted to ask you, um, obviously you're one of the greatest tales in the history of this business. Right now, in 2023, Roman Reigns is doing some really, really unbelievable work right now over the last couple of years. What, what, what's your take on Roman? I, I'm sure that you're a fan. Uh, well, I am, you know, and it's, and, and I'll be honest with you. Um, uh, you know, I, I grew up in the wrestling business. I, I made the wrestling business the, a, a career 
both in the ring and out of the ring for 25 years. And so, you know, post, you know, me leaving, me leaving the business, you know, it's kind of like, uh, I I've seen a whole lot of wrestling and, and I don't care to see a whole lot more. That's, you know, in other words, I, I've, I've paid attention enough and I've watched enough to know that Roman is, you know, he's the, he has the best, he's the best they've got. And he is, he's a, he's a great heel, but I don't know a whole lot about what's going on right now. You know, you know, in this, I don't know anything about any, any of the storylines. I just tune in now and then and, and get enough to, to, to get a feel for what they're doing and where they're going. And yes, uh, you know, he's the best heel they've got. He's the best heel they've had for a long time. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to – next up is Bape, uh, is from Brian from Long Island. Firefighter Brian, welcome to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. You're on live with WWE Hall of Famer, the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. How are you? All right. We're good. So, uh, Good, good. So, uh, hey, uh, Ted, it's a pleasure to be talking to you. You know, I had the pleasure of meeting you a couple times at the uh, the Wrestling Universe in Queens, and it's good to talk to you uh, here today. And um, I just got uh, two questions for you. Number one, um, you know, I'm sure, uh, you know, the whole wrestling world feels this way. You know, rest in paradise, Jerry Jarrett. Um, and hats off to Jeff Jarrett for, uh, you know, wrestling last night, you know, two days after his father's passing. Um, do you have any, uh, Jerry Jarrett stories, uh, that in your, or any run-ins with, uh, Jerry in your, uh, decade long, decades long wrestling career? You know, I, I, I don't, I, you know, it's kind of really? like, uh, I, I knew who he was, uh, um, uh, I had I met him from time to time, but I, I you know I never wrestled the territory with him you know before the before it all became WWE, and I just I just our paths never really had the opportunity to cross outside of meeting him occasionally. Be, but I do agree. Do what? I uh, no. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I just you know outside of that, I mean. Uh, you know, I admired his work. Very good. No, that's very interesting. Okay. And um, just uh, uh, two quick questions. Number one, um, who, who's your, if you had to pick one, all-time favorite opponent? I know you've had a great many over your career. Who would you say you know, your all-time favorite opponent? <laughs> wow. That, that is hard. That, that's hard. That's hard to, like, you know, like 25 years. Um, you know, I, I couldn't pick one. I mean, in my early career, uh, I would, I would say like, uh, guys like, uh, the, the Funk brothers, Terry Funk, mm -hmm. Dory Funk Jr. Uh, those are guys who I grew up with. I've known all my life, their father and my father wrestling. As a matter of fact, their father and my father had the longest wrestling match on record, a three hour and 15 minute Texas death match. In 1966, um, wow. the uh, um, uh, I loved working with Jake, uh, Jake Roberts, Jake the Snake. You know, uh, he and I had uh, several great matches. Um, and uh, I'll tell you, the one guy I only got to wrestle him one time, 
and we had a great match. And I just I hated that I never had a program with him. And that then that was Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Ricky Steamboat was great. You know, I mean, uh, anyway. Um, uh, but the others, uh, there's other guys. I mean, uh, but th- those are the ones on the top of my list. Very good, very good. I've heard, I've had, I've asked a few wrestlers that question, and a few of them have said you. You know, Jim Duggan loved working with you. He said he loved the second generation guys. Um, I, I want to just uh, say, and I've told you, I've had the pleasure of telling this to your face, and I'll say this now. Um, I know this may be a bold statement, but in my opinion, the greatest heel in the history of wrestling is Ted DiBiase. Because, you, like, like you said, you painted a picture of money and how evil it can be and how problematic it can be. And on, as a babyface, Brian said, on the, uh, on the, the first Survivor Series, they basically replayed, the, they did a highlight package of you. You didn't have a match, but you had this huge highlight package of all your big nets, which they so need to bring back. You and Mr. Perfect had the best ones by um and you know my dad, uh, my uncle, all the uh, the adults were watching these for the first time. And like the part with the kid with the push-ups, we said you don't get the money. And my dad and all them were like, "Damn!" But um, I, uh, I, and I want to, and you know, uh, Tommy, you bring up Roman Reigns. You know, MJF may be the closest thing to Ted DiBiase. No, he is the closest thing to Ted DiBiase right now. Uh, did, have you? Do you know anything about MJF, Ted? Uh, no, I do not. Sorry. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, no, it's all right. I would have liked to have gotten your take on him. And uh, one last question, because you've wrestled so many people. Um, is there anybody that you feel felt who, who that uh, was better than recognized? Somebody you thought that uh, he should have gotten more credit? Somebody who uh, flew under the radar? Where even guys that you managed uh, with the corporation or, you know, your times as a road agent, the uh, commentator. You know, uh, I've never really thought about that. <laughs> I really haven't. And, uh, uh, you know, I enjoyed all the guys that I had the opportunity to, you know, it's like, you know, uh, a, a manager in wrestling is like uh, put with a guy, you know, it's kind of like, um I, when I, I had become an established guy, obviously, I had had my wrestling career, and now I started managing. So they put me with people that they were, just like when, when Stone Cold first came in. When he first started, you know, they made me his manager. Well, that was the rub to help, help elevate him. Of course, nobody had any idea just how far he would go. And, I mean, he blew everybody's mind. Uh, but, again, uh, that's what – that was kind of like, that's what the managers do, especially if, I mean, I had a, a, a very well-known, recognized, active career. Now I'm managing. So they put me with somebody they want to elevate quickly. And, um, and he was one of those guys. Yeah. Stone Cold. There's a guy who, uh, I mean, obviously I don't think anybody saw that coming and, uh, cause he'd been around the business for a while, but when he, when they got gate, when they gave him that gimmick, he just took the ball and ran with it. And uh, more power to him. He's done awesome. 
Excellent, excellent. You know, I'm sure they have uh, other callers, so uh, I just want to say it was a pleasure to talk to you again. And uh, Tommy, Jay, thanks for giving – you know, Ted, they give uh, their callers so much time to get their point across. They really do a great job. It's uh, great to have you on the show today and uh, to talk to you on the show. And, uh, guys, I will hopefully talk to you next week. Sounds good, Brian. Thank you so much for calling in. Always a pleasure, guys. Have a good one. God bless. You too. Mr. DiBiase, we touched briefly with one of the callers on your million-dollar championship belt, and I am wondering now. I know when it comes to championship belts, we hear that maybe there's one for television, there's one for them to take on the road, have backups in case something happened. How many of those million-dollar belts were made for you at this time? Well, no. All of that is, you know, there was one. They made they made one belt, and <laughs> the belt they had made uh, in 1988, when that belt was made, they estimated its value at forty thousand um, dollars. I had to I had to carry a declaration page with me, like when we would go overseas. We would go, you know, like over to England and Ireland and stuff, and, and go through customs. I had to. You know, when they when they would open that, what they did is they took a Halliburton briefcase and they gutted it and they basically made a, like a, like a ring box out of it, where I could just set the belt down in that briefcase and and carry it that way, and so I had to declare its value in anywhere I went went, uh, and that's a, that's what it was valued at then forty forty grand. I have no idea uh, if if they were going to because all the all the stones. In the belt were cubic zirconium, and uh, what everybody goes, well, what's that? Well, it's almost a diamond, and so you know, forty grand in 1988. What 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 would that? What would forty grand you know equal to in, in uh, 2023? I don't know, uh, but I carried that sucker with me everywhere I went. You know, there was uh, there was one night. One night when I thought I'd lost it, and uh, it was so I had a panic <laughs> panic attack. Uh, I, I was on. I, I'd gone out. I think it was in Boston, you know, after the show, and, and and we had put it in the back of somebody's car, and then you know I I had ridden somewhere else with somebody else, and then it was kind of like, oh oh crap, where's the belt? And it was, and the whole time it was it was safely in the trunk one of the other guys cars and it was kind of one of those nights where uh, I had a very short panic attack and it was kind of like we even called Vince and woke him up <laughs> he said don't worry about it it's insured we'll just have another one made <laughs> uh, but anyway uh, but I uh, you know I get asked about the belt a lot and yeah it's not it's not a it's not worth a million dollars but like I said, in '88, it was worth 40 grand, and um, I had to declare its value anytime we went into a foreign country and carried it with me everywhere I went. So, um, yeah, and, and today, uh, you know, they make replicas of the belt, and I, you know, right. that's what I carry around now when I go to an autograph signing and what have you. And a lot, a lot of the fans will ask that question. They'll go, "Is this, is this the real belt?" I said, "No." It's a replica, just like the one, just like one you could buy. I said because 
<laughs> I'm not about to carry around uh, the real belt whose value is, gosh, who knows what, you know, for fear of getting mugged. Yeah, that's that's anyway. incredible. And I'm sure the first time they hand it to you and they tell you how much it's worth, any person would be nervous to be in charge of a $40,000 belt oh, on the yeah. road. Because when you're traveling, oh, anything could happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we guarded that uh, tremendously. Well, if, if I could ask yeah. you a follow-up and question. Just, when, you, when you say the word yeah, guard, ahead. your character is famous for having a personal bodyguard, Virgil, who, who on TV was your personal butler, your, your bodyguard. He did everything for you. My question as a kid was, was Virgil always intended to become a wrestler and pairing him with you was just a way to introduce him to the crowd or was he strictly meant to be a manager bodyguard and his transition to wrestling kind of happened? Well, you know, he was hired strictly to be the manager bodyguard. Look, you know, now I will say this, if Virgil had had, you know, more ring time, you know, I mean, uh, cause he had wrestled a little bit, um, you know, I could have done a whole lot more with him, but you know, mm. it just, it just wasn't meant to be. I mean, I, but we, we said that from the beginning that at some point we would do something where, you know, finally he gets tired of taking my crap, you know, and, and turns on me and, and, and we, and we did the best we could with it. Uh, you sure. know, uh, Bert is a, he's a great guy. Um, uh, uh, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy I, uh, I see him at, at autograph signings from time to time. Um, and he's a good guy. You know, he's just not the brightest guy in the world. I'll tell you what, real quickly, before we let you go, Ted, I wanted to ask you about uh, your, your feud and angle you did with Hercules. That was one of my, you know, that's a very underrated feud, I thought. How did you like working Hercules? Oh, gosh, man. Herc was the best. He He, he was a, you know, not only... Uh, he did. I mean, you know, he played his character well, and obviously he he, he had the body to back it up. Uh, and, and a lot of times, great big muscled up guys like that, you know, uh, you know, they, that's what they have. That's what they've got, and you've got to pull the rest of it out of it. But 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 Herc was a pretty good worker, and uh, you know, I was you know, I, you know, I was ha- you know, you you never know until you get into a program with somebody just how, how, how talented they are or, or they aren't. And, you know, it's kind of like some guys I just would have to, you know, and I would, I remember asking Terry Funk that question. I said, what, 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 what about getting a guy who's not really that good? And, and but you've got to make a match with him. He says, well, Teddy says, basically you put him in the middle of the ring and work around him. In other words, I'm going to be bouncing off of him and doing all this stuff, creating most of the action. But that wasn't, you know, that was not the case with her. Kirk was good. And, uh, you know, and, and a great guy. He was a great guy. Missing. enough for taking time out of your schedule to uh, allow us to chat with you. You are an absolute legend. I cannot uh, count the number of childhood memories. You are a part of one of the hottest heels in this era. Before we let you go, I always like to find out, you were living it, and life happens fast, careers happen fast. 
did, were you able to ever sit back and really enjoy the moment? And were you able to keep any piece of memorabilia that you cherish, that you keep in your office that reminds you of the tremendous run you had? Well, my office is, yeah, uh, I've got, I've got pictures and, uh, you know, pictures of me and the different guys that I, that I worked with and the, the people who were uh, instrumental in my career, uh, you know, and I hope I have a whole lot of memories, uh, you know, and, I, and again, I wish, I wish I could say that, uh, that the company gave me the million dollar bill, but it's much too expensive to give away. <laughs> I, I'll tell you this. Uh, when I went back, you know, uh, uh, I guess it's been over a year ago now when when uh, when they did that thing with Cameron Grimes on NXT. You know, that that's I don't know if you guys know that story, but he actually, you know, he actually invested in the stock market and hit it big. I mean, made a lot of money very quickly. And so they just got the idea. They said, well, well. You know, let's you know, like he makes us all, all this money, really good. And so, he, so I started acting acting like me. That was the whole storyline. So they brought me in to just uh, to to make a story out of it. And we did things like uh, he'd go in a jewelry store and, and buy a diamond bezeled watch, you know, and or, or no, he'd buy a really nice Rolex. And uh, I'd come up behind him and say, nice watch, kid. And then I'd hold up this diamond bezeled watch and say, but it's not a million-dollar watch, and laugh and walk away. And we, just, we did a lot of stuff like that. But Cameron Grimes was, uh, was good. And the guy that he was working with there, that, uh, L.A. Knight, and I think L.A. Knight, they, got, they moved him up, I believe. Uh, yeah, they did. But both those guys, both those guys were pretty good uh we're becoming pretty good uh, hands, and I, I admired what they're doing down there. You know, the developmental center in Orlando is really good, and they got some really good guys, very knowledgeable guys that are teaching these young guys. But the the thing about it is, the, the real art of, of wrestling, you don't really you don't really learn it until you do it, until you do it in front of a live crowd over and over and over, and. Uh, that's that's the one thing I think. I think they have a live crowd once a week. But uh, anyway, they're doing a pretty good job, and, uh, and I don't want to get into that story. I mean, I, you know, I don't I don't think wrestling will ever be what it used to be. Uh, but I'm I'm grateful for what Vince did with the with you know I mean he made wrestling. Oh my gosh! I mean, uh, I, you know I, the largest crowd I ever wrestled in front of was eighty eighty thousand people. Wembley Stadium in London, you know, uh, and I never envisioned that that would happen in wrestling. And of course, it happened, you know, uh, Market Square Arena, ninety-three thousand people, WrestleMania three. So um, Vince took wrestling to a place nobody nobody ever imagined that it would go, and I'm just happy that I was uh, along for the ride. Absolutely, and so are we, Ted. So are we. Last call, and then we let Ted go. It's Danny from Butler, New Jersey. Danny, you're on. Last call with the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. Tommy, Jumpin' Jay, uh, Ted, uh, pleasure. Uh, I was able to reach uh, a, a rough morning for my wife and myself. We just uh, had our son's tonsils removed, so we're actually on our way home. But I'm, I'm glad that I was able to uh, find some time to call in the show and, uh, and uh, talk to Ted, definitely. 
Well, we hope we hope your son's better and uh, sending him well wishes. And what's your question for Ted? Hi, uh, Ted. Uh, like, um, uh, you know, it's always a pleasure watching you. You know, you were definitely one of the top heels to ever, uh, you know, step into the square, square circle. I had the pleasure of meeting you with my oldest son a couple of years ago at the Sussex County Fair, uh, one of Tommy Steinings. Um, question that I always uh, that I always I don't I don't think I ever asked you the question uh, when I met you, but one of the things that I always wondered is I know. I think the original plans when you came in your first, in the in '87 when uh, the whole main event angle with Andre and the double referee, uh, you were, I think, supposed to be scheduled to win the title at the WrestleMania during the tournament. But uh, we all know, I think, you know, Honky uh, didn't want to drop the title to Randy, uh, and I guess they appeased Randy by giving him the title at WrestleMania. Do you look back? Uh, do you ever think about, you know, any with any? Uh, uh, disappointment in your career, not having a, w, uh, a world championship run on your resume. You know, you know, with all your accomplishments, do you ever think back at well, what could have been? I mean, you had a great career. Well, you know, here, here's the thing, though. It's wrestling is is it was Randy Savage really the champion, or any of those guys ever really the champion? And well, no, they're they're champions because it's. It's part of a story you're telling. And that's how I always had to look at the business as, you know, it's like it, it's great. And obviously, I would say this, uh, whoever has the opportunity to carry the, the world title has got to be somebody that has the capability of wrestling anybody they put in the ring with them. You know, and th- and those guys are few and far between. And I've always, I've always been respected as a guy like that. So, like I said, for me, I mean, because Pat Patterson came to me and and told me that whole that whole deal. He says, "Here's what we're thinking we can we do." And then, what what if you don't win? And in your arrogance, you create your own championship and snub your nose at the world title. And as soon as he said that, I said, "Do it." I said, because that's going to put more heat on me than even being the champion uh, with the title. And it was, you know, it, you know, the, the arrogance of me, you know, you know, just going, you know, I don't care. It's like you have to earn the right to wrestle me for the million dollar title. So it was, it's all, it's all show business. And in the way it worked out for me, worked out for me better. And, and, you know, it's going like, you know, would you, would you like to be the world champion at some point? And, oh, okay. You know, that would have been nice. But business is business. And I think what they did, did what was intended to do, was to put as much heat on me and for me to carry that heat and, and be the top heel for as long as I could be. And, you know, of course, obviously, you know, you could, you're the top guy for a while and then, then you know, obviously it's wrestling, so you got to, you know, somebody comes on new and, then, you know, you, you know, it's like you don't ever go away. And then, then I went from that to being tagged up with uh, Mike Rotunda IRS, and we were the world tag team champions, and we had a great run with that. So, you know, uh, you know for me, no, no disappointments. You know, awesome. Uh, like I said, I'm glad uh, you uh, – you were able to accomplish what you were able to accomplish. You're tremendous. Uh, definitely 
a Hall of Famer, you know, one of the greatest heels, one of my favorites. And, you know, thank you for coming on and uh, giving us a, a chance to go down memory lane with you. And, uh, you know, I hope, uh, you know, you just continue to, uh, a nice, uh, prosperous uh, career after this sport. And Tommy Jumpin' Jay, just I uh, want to thank you for letting me uh, get on the last call. You guys have a wonderful weekend. Hey, you too, Danny. Thank you so much for checking in. Uh, Mr. DiBiase, before you sign off, is there any appearances to know? Um, I am. I'm going to be, where am I going to be? Next weekend, I am going to be at the Pensacon in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, and, the, and then the following, the first weekend in March, I am at the uh, Southwest Florida Con in Fort Myers, Florida. So that's where I'm going to be. Uh, you know, that's the closest upcoming events that I'm going to be appearing at. So that's it, guys. But before I go, uh, I just have to remind everybody of one thing, and that's this. Everybody's got a price for the Million Dollar Man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ted, yeah, thank absolutely. you so much. Have a great day. All right, guys. Thank you. Take care. Take care. Have a Bye-bye. great day. Thank you, Ted. All right. There you have it. WWE Hall of Famer and one of the greatest of all time, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase. What I will say to you, Jay, now, now it's just me and you on the line, is that one thing you do not have is a million-dollar system down there in Minnesota because you're all sorts <laughs> of breaking in and out. I'm over here, you know, waiting for you to talk. You're not talking. I got to jump in. You're supposed to be the lead. I text you throughout the episode. What the hell is going on here? No, I'm, I wasn't going to say that. But Listen, a lot of technical difficulties. Is it, is it snowing down there in Minnesota or something? It's not snowing, but it is freaking cold. It is well below zero. And yeah, we have the million dollar on, million dollar man on, and I. You're cutting it out. out right now. Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up early today. Uh, let me just plug <laughs> this coming weekend. Tomorrow night, ISPW will be returning to Avenel, New Jersey, and we will have a ISW World Heavyweight Title match with Bull James, managed by Maven, against Tommy Dreamer, who will have Danny Morrison in his corner to offset Maven in Bull's Corner. Earl Hepner will be making a very special guest appearance tomorrow night, along with uh, Crowbar going one-on-one with the King of Rock, Rick Recon with Dave LaGreca for the first time ever. For more information on this show and for tickets, you can head over to ISPWWrestling.com. Hopefully next week uh, we can get Jay's system down there in Minnesota all uh, queued up right because that's the, the biggest guest we got on and uh it goes kaput on you down there something that i don't know what's going on tom i got a two dollar connection talking to tb it's a horrible day to have a rough connection a two dollar connection to talk to a million dollar man <laughs> listen it's, it's all good man this is the way it goes it's all good that's but we're gonna uh we'll wrap up early today because uh I, your sexy voice needs to be heard and not cutting in and out, so we'll wait till next week. We're the sexiest and tallest man alive. Justin Jay and myself will return right here. 80s Wrestling, the podcast. <laughs>